Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the experts to take us behind the news headlines. I'm Sananda Cray. Today, of course, the government handed down the federal budget, and as predicted, it was chock full of sweeteners designed to woo voters on the eve of what promises to be a bitterly fought election. We've got loads of analysis and at-a-glance graphics on our website at theconversation.com. But if you're just looking for the short, short version, what was announced, who's affected, what it all means as polling day approaches, well, you're in the right place. Today on Trust Me, I'm an Expert, we're bringing you a special episode carried across from the Conversation podcast, Politics with Michelle Grattan. And by the way, if you're an Ozpol addict like me, I really urge you to subscribe to that podcast. Michelle Grattan is our chief political correspondent. She's just emerged from the budget lockup with business and economics editor Peter Martin and political and economic journalist Tim Colbatch. Here they are in conversation about all the news that's just broken. We're here in the budget lockup, and as we all expected, this document is very much pitched at the imminent election. Here to discuss the politics and the economics, I have today Peter Martin, the economics editor of The Conversation, and Tim Colbatch, a writer for Inside Story. Peter, can I start with you? What are the standout features of this budget as far as the ordinary voter is concerned? A tax cut that goes back in time, Michelle, uh, which is a pretty tricky thing to do, but uh, people are going to get a bigger tax cut at the end of the financial year that's about to end uh, than they expected uh, when it began. They're going to get a a rebate of about $1,000 instead of the $500 uh, that was promised. Now, you might say that that's electoral in focus because that's money that will be going into people's pockets in uh, a matter of weeks, uh, depending how soon they get their tax returns in. But uh, it's probably also economic-based as well, in that uh, in the budget we see that, frankly, the domestic economy... Yeah, yeah, we've got money coming in from mining, but the domestic economy in terms of consumer spending and, and so on isn't flash. It's interesting to note the size of this bonus that's going to people that, that's doubled will be about $1,000 for uh, you know a lot of people in the, the, the middle income uh, range. That $1,000, uh, 500 now doubled to, to roughly 1000 is more than the Rudd government's uh, first uh, cash splash uh, during the GFC of $800. So Tim, do you think that in this budget the government has sacrificed the economic for the political no, I think it's actually a fairly modest budget. Um, it's it's really given that we're heading right into the election after the after this week, uh, into the election campaign. It, it's really quite modest in what it gives. As Peter says, it's got it's given another five hundred dollars to people um, in the near term. But then to wait for a bigger tax, you're going to have to wait for tw- till twenty two twenty three. Uh, it's well down the track, and. The new spending, likewise, is it's really fairly restrained. It amounts in net terms to two to three billion dollars a year, in a budget of five hundred billion dollars a year. So we're not talking big biggies. Now, just in terms of the economic outlook, there seem to be two messages that the uh, economy is fundamentally sound, but there are all sorts of clouds around the place. Well, I think governments always say the economy is fundamentally sound. I think they were saying that in nineteen ninety. Um, and Before the recession we had to that's have. That's right, yes. 
as we were going into recession, they were saying the ship is on course. Um, and uh, no, I think what Peter said is, is quite right. The, the economy is not flash, as consumer spending is not flash, and there's reasons to think that uh, the decline in house prices will have an impact on consumer spending. Indeed, Treasury admits that itself in the in the economic analysis. Uh, and so there's good reason for the government to be giving a bit of stimulus to the economy and what is in its electoral interests and what is in the economy's interests are very nicely in coincidence. Now, Peter, what about the wages story? We've heard so much about wages recently. What the government has done in this budget is what it's done in the previous budget and the budget before that and the budget before that, which is to uh, assume that... Uh, Wages are going to take off, they're going to increase. Uh, the, the rate at the moment is 2.3%. After a while, it's going to go up to 3%. But they've just, as they've done for I think about five budgets in a row now, they've just pushed out the start date of that improvement. Now, we are seeing a little bit of improvement. Wage growth is slightly higher than it has been. But the future of that is uncertain. Um, not uncertain if you, if you, as Tim said, not uncertain if you, if you look at the perennially um, uh, things are okay sort of budget rhetoric, but with uh, the hit to incomes of housing prices, uh, if businesses start thinking that consumer spending is not going to hold up, then you're, you're looking at a situation where... Uh, suddenly workers won't have whatever bargaining power they've got and uh, wage growth uh, will in fact weaken or, or won't get any stronger. So it, it's the forecasts, as always really, uh, forecast that good times are just around the corner, but there's been scarcely any sign of them. Now, I'm not really blaming the Treasury for forecasting good times around the corner because in the long run, they say, um, they have a model. Yeah, they yeah, say, yeah. wage growth has got to... things work in the long run. Yeah, yeah, and they assume the long run will happen eventually, right? That uh, wage growth has got to equal inflation, which is around 2%, plus productivity growth, right, which is around 1%. That'll give you 3%. Now, the fact that that hasn't happened um, hasn't stopped them from believing it will. Well, I think, can I just register a slight disagreement of tone? Peter does see things in black and white, um, uh, and I'm more of a grey person. I mean, it is, wage growth is rising very slowly, and it is rising, and I think the forecasts this year are more reasonable than in previous years. They're not forecasting it to go back to uh, 3.5% or 3 and three quarter percent it, It's a pretty modest... I think it's only another quarter of a percent up. They are expecting it to get to 25 this year, which may be heroic, uh, this financial year. It ends up at 3, as it has always yeah. ended up at 3. No, it's ended, it was 3.75 at one stage. <laughs> the, the other thing which is good in what they've done is... Um, in their forecasts, in their forecasts there, there's been realism in the forecasts, whether that's come from the Treasury, most probably, or, or the Treasurer. They could have factored in, the convention would have allowed them to factor in these high iron ore prices we've got. Um, the convention is that you take the previous four weeks iron ore price and assume it will continue for four years. They haven't done that. They've uh, assumed, in line with uh, their advice and, and common sense, that this iron ore price is going to come down as uh, as Chinese demand uh, goes away. Now that's cost 
the government money in the budget. He didn't need to do that. So uh, I think he would be a brave person to say that the forecasts in totality are, um, are anything other than uh, reasonable. You've always got to give them some slack. It's their job. And I don't think you can say that they've done it wrong. <laughs> now, Tim, what are the vulnerabilities of this budget that Labor can home in on? Uh, I, I'd really... OK, at first sight, I can't see anything. At first sight, I can't see anything that I would um, think provides an obvious um, lever for Labor to, to hone in on. And as I said, to me, it's a modest budget. I think... What's particularly interesting about that, Michelle, is that they have not spent all this money. They have programmed in for a budget surplus next year of $7 billion, and on, as Peter says, on reasonably conservative and sensible assumptions. Uh, and that, for a budget, for a government in, in the state, electoral state that this government is in, that's, that, I think, shows a fair bit of restraint, and it recognises that the debate has shifted, and its people are less likely to be bought by big spending and more likely to be bought by the impression of fiscal reticence and control and delivering a budget surplus. And I think what is particularly interesting is, is that Labor, remember, took a lot of flack in 2016 because it came out with a budget, uh, its budget was going to be... Spending bigger. the benefits were, of the boom. They, they were going to have bigger deficits in the short term than the coalition. And this went against their message that in the long term they were better managers. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Labor actually targets a higher budget surplus in the next year uh, than this one. And just finally, Peter, do you think that this will change the conversation for the government? Well, it changed the conversation for the government... I think it gives Labor an advantage, and Labor has always had that advantage uh, ever since it announced its action against negative gearing and capital gains tax, ever since it announced its uh, uh, changes to dividend imputation policy. Labor has more money than the government. I don't think it will want to disagree with anything in the budget, but it still has an advantage over the government. Now, there was nothing the government could do to take this away, but what Josh Frydenberg has done is brought down a budget, his first, in which he is unlike about which he is unlikely to be embarrassed in the future. Look at Peter Costello's last budget. He gave away money uh, in ways that turned out to be unsustainable to seniors and all sorts of people. Uh, seniors got checks just for being old and so on. Josh Frydenberg hasn't done that. He has begun to build a legacy that Peter Costello began to throw away. Tim Colbatch, Peter Martin, thank you very much. That's all for our Budget Lockup podcast. Thank you to my producer, Eliza Burlage. We'll be back with uh, more interviews later in the week. Goodbye for now. That was The Conversation's Chief Political Correspondent, Michelle Grattan, in discussion with Business and Economics Editor Peter Martin and Political and Economic Journalist Tim Colbatch. Have a look in your podcast app for The Conversation's Politics with Michelle Grattan podcast. And hit subscribe while you're there so you don't miss a thing. She's interviewing key players around the halls of Parliament every week or so. And in the lead up to the federal election, it's where you need to go to find out what's going on with Australian democracy. And if you're not already subscribed to Trust Me, I'm an Expert, please do so wherever you find your podcasts. My name is Sananda Cray. Today's episode was edited by Eliza Berlage. Our theme beats are by Uncle Ho. And you can find all of our budget and politics coverage on our website at theconversation.com.